It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and the Herb Dean to my Korean zombie, my boy Nick Bracha. Nick the Herb Dean was really good for Korean Zombie, but Korean Zombie didn't realize it, right? So, like, Korean Zombie thought Herb Dean shouldn't stop this fight, but it was it was best for his life, for his career. And I kind of feel like that's what you are to me. You've got my back, but I don't, like, you know, I don't take it that way. I react as if you're somehow adverse to me. Yeah, of course, like, you know, we're, uh, we're fight, we'll fight like brothers, but if somebody steps to you, you know, I'm going to... You know, as someone who's not capable of physically defending you, I would I would go out and hire bounty hunters who, <laughs> who could perform that duty, and I would and I would supervise them from a safe distance while enjoying a diet Dr Pepper. Nick, I absolutely and I love that you uh, put the diet Dr Pepper in there. Is that your soda of choice? I mean, I've been drinking a lot of of soda lately, Coke Zeros and diet Dr Peppers mostly. See, when it comes to soda, Nick, I'm more of a club soda guy. I mean, cl- yeah, well, club soda is not really soda. It doesn't have as many. Po- it doesn't have as much poison in it. Zero poison, as far as I can tell, right? Like, yeah, no poison. I drink, I've been drinking a lot of poison, and the thing with the poison sodas is then they make you, they make you think you're hungry when you're not, just like THC, oh, and that's like I've been uh, whatever, yeah, whatever. Like I think that I think I found the ten pounds that I lost, so I've got to get back on the horse. Well, I, l- listen, the fact that you found them and the fact that you're on the horse makes me feel like you're even less likely to lose them because the horse will be able to keep track of that shit for oh, you. Oh, boo. Wow. Is that you, bad? I know you're, pretty, I know you're about like to be, a Nick Bracci I know you're, special, No, right? I know you're about to be a dad for the second time, so you're doubling <laughs> up on the, your dad jokes have twice yep. the power. That was horrible. That was really bad, man. That was, I'm ashamed that was, of myself. That ended humor. Gil, it really like, did. Gil, like, Gilbert Godfrey's not even cold and he's rolling over in his grave thanks to your Nick, terrible Nick, attempt at humor. After that, I'm not sure that I'll ever... Stan, I've been listening to you, and you're not funny. Oh, that was bad. I'm sorry. That you see, Nick, you you just you got me off the hot seat, and I appreciate that. Just like that. Yes, and this is why. This is why you are the Herb Dean to my Korean zombie, Nick. Why don't we just stop talking about something we're good at, which is the fights? (laughs) (laughs) UFC 273 went by this last weekend. We're also uh, going to talk about Luke versus Muhammad. Um, The UFC Vegas card coming up this weekend. We're going to break the whole Easter, thing down Easter, for you all. Sa- Easter Saturday, they're sneaking it. They're sneaking it in. Guys who were, who they owed fights, but they didn't want to do any favors for. Except so they the figured the second night of Passover, Nick. That's when we're going to make this happen. I am I am into it. I have no complaints. And I think there's actually a pretty good Bellator with AJ McKee facing off with um, Pitbull Ferrari. The what do you? The yeah, yeah, oh yeah, Pitbull that's brother. that's actually really exciting. Like. Sherdog has him ranked pound for pound the number fifth fighter in the world, which I thought is wild. That um, is absolutely, abs- absolutely ridiculous. I wonder where Sherdog had Michael Chandler before he entered the UFC yeah. and uh, Justin Gaethje before he entered the UFC, although obviously he proved to be a pretty high-level fighter. I mean, fighter. McKee is really good, but I mean, it's he not is. like he's going to get uh, much competition. Also, quickly... To I mean, this was his first the, truly look- like high-level uh, high level opposition that he beat here in this matchup. Yeah. Outside of that, he's never fought anybody that truly deserves to be in the top 10 in the MMA world, so that's absolutely bonkers to me that they uh, ranked him that way, but sure dog's going to sure dog. Now, by the um, way, as a as a, a, a card carrying member of the tribe, what do you what do you do this Sunday? I know that your daughter has some Italian blood, right? So, do you guys do an Easter Bunny thing, or do you think that the Easter Bunny is as fake as you think Jesus is? Um, well, it's it's funny. I would say like I would liken him more to like Santa. Like you know, my my father in law, who is a Jewish Italian man, 
wanted to introduce the concept of Santa to Avery. And I was like initially kind of against it. I was like, why are we pretending like something that doesn't exist exists? Why? Like she's going to know eventually that it doesn't. We've been lying to her all these years. Why are we doing this? I'd rather take credit for all the gifts. And uh, my wife, you know, my wife and I had a conversation about that. So it was a bit of a thing. Um, yeah, we, we don't do the Christian holidays. We mm-hmm. we do do the some of the Jewish holidays more for like the traditional element of it. Mm-hmm. Not so much not so much that I'm trying to like avoid uh, you know a level of hell that I feel like I can't handle. It's just like I you know uh, there's a tr- there's a um, there's a culture to it that I can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we do incorporate some of that stuff like lighting the Hanukkah candles and that kind of thing. Um, and and so there's that and and there's also the fact that. Like I'm not a very religious man at all. I yeah, me, oh, me either. Yeah, and and so you know, it's but again, the cultural things I do want to include with my with my family mm-hmm. because I think there's something to that, the heritage and all that. Um, yeah. But they again, they have Italian in them, they have British in them. Uh, you know, there's well, then there's the there's the consumer aspects of all of these. You know, that's like yes. Oh, don't get me wrong. We have Easter eggs all over the house right now because her school did a thing and, and we had to buy eggs and, and right, she brought right, home even okay. more eggs than we bought and and kind of donated to the school. So, you know, naturally there's way more fucking eggs here at this house than there has to be and there's way more plastic eggs than there are real eggs. And we shop at Costco, right? So that's saying something, Nick. Well, I'm a big I'm a big Seder fan. I think Seders have the best food. That's just my... Well, Passover seders are my least favorite thing, and we're gonna get off this really because I'm sure nobody's interested. Yeah, because like you know, if if you're doing it with people who actually like take Judaism um, seriously, the more like I guess the more orthodox version of Judaism, and I have siblings who are who are Got pretty uh, pretty absorbent. Um, you know, there's, there's just like uh, there's just like a lot of reading and a lot of waiting around before you can have the next bite, and that oh, to me I seems see. silly. It's not and, all hiding chocolate. Got it. Well, there, there is there's that some hiding, I know there's some hiding chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, our, our, our listeners, <laughs> I'm sorry. It is cr- we, we lost. I started, Nick, the I started 2 million t- listeners that you alluded to last week, we just lost like 1.9 million of them. I I think, I mean, I think it was interesting, but okay. Well, we, we do. We're fucking talking. We're having this conversation. This is a conversation we're going to have, you know, even outside the podcast. Of course, we find this interesting, but why would anybody else is the question. Nick. Let's talk about UFC 273. I know you didn't get a chance to watch the entire card. You've been traveling for work um, as you are taking over this planet Earth. But Nick, Alexander Volkanovsky looked absolutely fucking elite against Chan Sung Jung. I said before uh, in our last episode, I I talked about how, in my opinion, Alexander Volkanovsky is the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. I think that he is above Kamaru Usman, who is excellent, who who is up there for sure. But if you look at the quality of wins, Kamaru Usman hasn't beat anybody that is one of the greatest ever in any division, period. Alexander Volkanovsky has multiple wins of that sort. Mm-hmm. He beat Max Holloway twice. He beat, uh, he beat Jose Aldo. He, he, beat, um, uh, he, he beat several other guys that are ranked like really at the very tippy top of that 145-pound division. I mean, Chad Mendez, Brian Ortega. Like these are, yeah. he, do, he does have scalps, whereas Usman's got two Masvidal, two Colby. Right. Like ty- like post post and being able to win. fight. Colby's ty- his best win for sure. Yeah, post being able to fight Tyron Woodley. Like Usman's, I mean, exactly. Usman is ter- Usman's terrific and He's fantastic. like and now watching what Gilbert Burns just did, his his win over Gilbert Burns looks better than it did. That that, that um, is true. But let, let's face it, we're talking about Gilbert Burns facing a guy who's been a pro for just a few years, who's only nine and zero or ten and zero going into this bout. So like, I think we just over over expected from Chimaev. Um, yeah. Well, it, let's get it, to it, that in a minute. Let's go. Yeah. Going back to Volkanovski, so completely dominant. Now, what now? So Cejudo's back in the training pool. 
I want to I want to see that fight. I that's the that's the I don't want, I'd rather see Cejudo take a crack at becoming Triple C against a real pound for pound contender because I think Cejudo is a real pound for pound contender. I do too. Very um, much so, yeah. And or he certainly was. Um, I'd like to see that fight more than I want to see Volkanovski move up to 155. I don't want to see Volko fight Gagey and Chandler and and Dustin. You don't want to see that, Nick? Not really. There's going to be so much bigger than this guy. What in the world? You don't want to see... Oh, because you don't want to see him lose? So, well, so you no, assume I that just he's probably that, I just think I just think there's weight classes for a reason, generally speaking. And I understand that Cejudo moving up is like... Little tiny itty-bitty Cejudo, who used to fight at 125, coming up to 145 against Volkanovski, who used to weigh 210 pounds. I don't think Volkanovski's going to look that much better. I don't think Volkanovski's going to look that much bigger than him. 5'3 to what? 5'6, 5'7? I mean, he's he's going to look bigger. Is he 5'7? I think so. Let, Let me quickly... Let me quickly. Look I mean, Dom Cru- Dom Cruz, you know, didn't didn't He's look a pretty much tall bigger guy. than Cejudo. He didn't, you know. I mean, true, but but this is a one thirty fiver who is on the tall side. For one forty five nowadays, he's not that big of a guy. But let me quickly look. Volkanovski's height. Wait for it. Five six. So definitely on the short man. It's amazing what he's able to accomplish. He's about the same significantly height. Taller same height as Ed. Yeah, he's about the same height as Edgar and Mendez. Right, uh, dominating 145. And then we have Henry Cejudo, who I believe is 5'3". Let me confirm that. 5'4". So really only two-inch height advantage. Let me see what the reach advantage is. This is this is rather interesting. 71 and a half inches for Volk to 67 and a half. So yeah, a four-inch reach advantage, a two-inch height advantage. Doesn't sound that bad at all, right? But the fact of the matter is that Volkanovski could never in his dreams make 125. And I think Cejudo, if you really, 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 really still wanted to, he probably could do it. Um, so there's got to be a size difference there. Uh, but look, am I am I intrigued by either of those options? Him facing um, him facing uh, uh, Cejudo or him facing Oliveira? Dude, I would absolutely love to see either of those matches. And I'd Volkanovski probably edge... Oliveira is really interesting to me. Yeah, that's fascinating to me, man. I'm so intrigued by it. Yeah, you're right. I'd, I'd like to see. I'd like to see that. I, but the notion of a, the no, but the, the, a guy challenging to be the first three time champion is a. I just think it's not going to come around every time where you're going to look at that fight and I'm like, oh, yeah. I, don't, the, I don't know what's. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen over five rounds in that fight. I think I pick Volkanovski, but like, Cejudo's Cejudo's really really good. But here's here's another thing in Cejudo's uh, in uh, Volkanovski's favor when it comes to the the uh, pound for pound rankings, right? He's got twenty wins in a fucking row, dude. Yeah, that's unheard of. Now, granted, Kamar Usman probably has something right around uh, twenty wins in a row himself, right? He's he is no slouch, but again, not the same level of competition. Also, on the come up, Volkanovski was fucking destroying guys, destroying them, blowing through them, right? Like. You know, decent level opposition as he entered his first few UFC fights. Whereas well, Kamaru Usman, for the most yeah. part, for the most part, was winning really, really boring, laying on top of guys kinds of decisions for the first you know while of his career. I'm not. Con- I'm not convinced. I pick Usman over Prime GSP. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not convinced. I think the speed. I think the speed yeah, of GSP. I think sure. the speed of. I think GSP may have been able to, may have been able to jab him. 
to death. I mean, yeah, I could see GSP. I mean, both of those guys have incredible jabs. They have really so good jabs, but I think, that, I think that GSP's GSP got better, better. I think he's got a little bit more reach, and I think his jab had a little bit more speed. I don't think he's got the reach. I think he's a smaller man in this matchup. Uh, despite the fact that he went up to one one eighty five, I think he was smaller. It's just a question of his of his wingspan. But uh, yeah, he, he did have check. very wide shoulders. But uh, but in any case, uh, Volkanovski man, his fakes and feints. I talked about it last week. It's incredible the speed discrepancy. Nick, I didn't even give that enough credit in my breakdown. But it's funny. I noticed that. I just didn't write it in my notes. There's a big speed difference between these guys. Volkanovski was able to just touch him up at will because as much as Korean Zombie is a really good counterfighter. What fucks up a good counterfighter is excellent fakes and feints because you don't truly know when to counter. When you've got uh, a guy with excellent fakes and feints who also has extreme speed compared to you, I mean, that's really hard to fuck with, right? Especially a guy as mature, as determined, as focused, as talented as is Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, and he just touched him at Whaleman, and he, he heard him multiple times. I don't think he officially recorded a knockdown in this matchup, but he clearly visibly hurt him badly several times, where Korean Zombie stumbling backwards after taking a very, very clean shot. Herb Dean barely letting him go out there for the fourth round. He, was re- he got the doctor in there, wanted to make sure that, um, that, that you know he can get any excuse to stop this fight. His corner wasn't going to stop it. He goes out there. He takes a really good look at zomb- uh, Zombie. He's looking at him carefully, waiting for the moment to stop the fight and Volkanovsky actually like going into that fourth round he was basically like are you sure to zombie like he he was like you sure you want to keep doing like this is not like this is not good for you dude and I respect Volkanovsky for doing that I give credit to Herb Dean for making what uh, I think a lot of referees would have found to be a tough decision good on Volkanovsky man he's incredible I will not complain about a Max Holloway uh, fight because I think it's the only man that has a shot at beating him and I would love to see him fight either Cejudo uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Yan if Yan wants to come up. That would be fucking amazing. Uh, and, and although Yan to take a third loss in a row would be would be rough on him, and and you got to figure the size discrepancies, you know, is going to probably lead to that. And I'd love to see him fight Oliveira. So lots of our options for Volkanovski. In my opinion, he's the pound for pound best fighter on the planet. I don't think there's a whole lot of people out there saying that, even though they're now starting to talk about him in the pound for pound conversation. Um, I'd figure this podcast is probably one of the first that has declared him that way genuinely genuinely believe it man i think he's absolutely incredible he and he's absolutely one of my favorite fighters if not my favorite fighter at this point and then aljamain sterling Piotr yan extremely competitive fight nick the first round was super close aljamain sterling went right to it landed body kicks he was a little bit more careful he wasn't pressuring Piotr yan the way that he did last time this time he was more on the outskirts using his footwork to eventually hopefully set up takedowns i think was the plan actually i, I think ray longo even mentioned that in one of his interviews since and Aljamain just outworked him, man. Like he he popped him with a nice elbow, several body kicks. Although Yan come, came back with a couple of body kicks, Aljamain outlanded him in that round. Right, not a whole lot happened, and Piotr Yan was having a hard time landing cleanly on him. He was fighting a little bit angry, almost as if he like wanted to shut him up. I think one of the bigger issues for Piotr Yan in this matchup is that last time he went to American Top Team, he spent a lot of time there. He spent a lot of time with some high level grapplers to get prepared for Aljamain Sterling's grappling. After what happened in their first matchup, Nick, I think he basically decided, I'm going to destroy this guy. He is a wimp, he will quit. And he didn't take it as seriously. He stayed in Thailand, right? Which is a good camp, uh, Tiger Muay Thai. But it's not going to give you that kind of ground game uh, kind of exposure that you're going to get at an American top team. And I think that was a mistake. I think that's a big part of what cost him here on top of the fact that he came in fighting angry and on top of the fact that he just thought that he was superior to him in every way. Yeah. It, um, and listen, we got to give credit 
I, I found Aljo is annoying over the last year. I like Aljo. Yeah, he no, took well, out a gimmick. I, I mean, now I do, and I yeah. like the, I like that he's local, and I. But I, I, it's just you know winning the title that way just didn't sit right, and then not defending for a long time like didn't sit right. But the fact is, he got his head together. Like credit to Ray Longo too, who who breeds champions, like who breeds yeah, guys at this point, who gets guys who gets guys to believe in themselves. And to fight their best fights, he did it with Matt Sarah, Chris Weidman, and now Aljo Sterling to to you know fighters up against massive monsters from a psychological standpoint in GSP, Anderson Silva, and Petrion. Like very true, good on, very good point. Good on Ray Longo. Like what you know, what a coach. Now those guys were all you know are all certainly gifted. And it, it, it remains to be seen if Aljo will have um, as, you know, as storied a career as, as Weidman did before the, you know, really before injuries um, derailed him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, like, Aljo shut up, in my, my from my perspective, like, Aljo shut up the world and now he gets to defend his title. I guess he wants, he wants Aldo, who's won, uh, you know, who's won three in a row. Um I think, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty winnable fight for him. I actually, I actually think that's a tougher style matchup than TJ Dillashaw. So I give him credit. Believe I think they're both. Even though Aldo's ranked a bit lower, Jose Aldo has incredible takedown defense, and yeah, like you know, it's incredibly fucking difficult for but, a non super high level striker with extreme power to beat Jose Aldo standing these days. But there's a big there's a big but there, Stan. What's which that? Which is that. Aldo's conditioning and his age are going to help him to the point where I have trouble seeing Aldo win, you know, winning four and five against him. So all Sterling has to do is win one of the first three rounds. You know, that, like, that's not a bad point. But Sterling was also getting thrown around by Yan in the last two rounds. Not thrown around, but clearly like uh, losing. Well, the yeah, last but yeah, but Yan's a, but Yan's a fighter who comes on stronger in the second half of the fight. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right? And Aldo's, so like we, Aldo's, Aldo's not. Aldo is a guy. No, who, no, I, I agree. But part of what I'm saying, at least, is, and and you're maybe you're right about the conditioning element, but it's not like Jose Aldo's suddenly easy to take down in the last half of the round. It's just a serious pressure fighter can have success as long as they have good technique and good power. Yeah. If you don't have both of those things, or at least one of them, and to be fair, Aljamain Sterling has good technique. Um, he's got snappy kicks. I think he he'll be able to. I think he'll be able to take down Aldo. That's that. That's the interesting thing. Aldo with a ninety percent takedown de- defense, right? That would be the fascinating thing. And Aldo, a serious Brazilian jiu What's his takedown defense if you if you take out Mark Hominick? <laughs> Why did Mark Hominick take him down? Yeah, Mark, Mark take him down. Mark Hominick was like for two rounds was just like yeah, like was like smothered him. He might. I mean. Yeah, I do, I do remember the the last part of that fight. Uh, you know, Jose wasn't looking all that awesome. But look, I do think like. TJ Dillashaw, where he is now at this point in his career, after a year layoff, arguably having lost his last fight, um, I a think good, good fight against a tough guy. I, I it was, it. yeah, it's true. The, 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 it's true, and and again, you know, it's a guy that won a couple of rounds against Piotr Jan, a guy who got smoked by Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling is the deserving champion. That first round was close. If you are telling me that you think Piotr Jan won it, I accept that. That's fine with me. No, he's, uh, he's, first he's, round was close. Yeah, contra- I mean, you know. Controversial decision, not a robbery. 
And, Definitely uh, not a robbery. It was a close decision. I don't think controversial is even that fair because it's the kind of decision that legitimately could have gone either way. I sure. happen to think it went slightly toward the right guy. Like the first round should have gone slightly toward Aljamain Sterling, in my opinion. He took more of the initiative. He landed more clean shots. Um, he kind of uh, landed an elbow that made Piotr Ryan take a few steps back. Like, like he, you know, he had a better first round, in my opinion. And and for people like you know John McCarthy to say. You know, there's you're a fool if you or something along the lines of there's no way you can tell me that Aljamain Sterling won that first round. John McCarthy, stop it! You're supposed to. I've got to go. This and, shit. I've got to go and watch. It was it a close fucking round. On yeah, later yeah. You, you but, really should see it. And then the second and third rounds, Aljamain basically created um, a kind of a scramble, a takedown defense moment for Piotr Rian. Piotr Rian, um avoiding the takedown, kind of turned his back. Aljamain took his back in both those rounds. Took his back and, and dominated positionally. He had some moments of ground and pound where he almost flattened Pierrian out, but he did dominate positionally. And Aljamain Sterling legitimately is a high, high level grappler when it comes to MMA. So he was able to show that there, Pierrian, with his pressure, with the fact that he gets stronger over the course of the fight, looked good in rounds four and five. And that's why, once again, it came down to that first round. Rounds four and five looked a lot like the end of their last fight, Nick, where, you know, mm-hmm. the, the fourth round where he was almost tossing him around, pressuring him effectively. Um, but, you know, Aljamain didn't get finished, right? And so the assumption that he would have gotten finished in that first matchup, who knows? It's certainly not that simple. Uh, and then we have Kamzat Chimai versus Gilbert Burns. I know you were able to catch at least some of this matchup. What are your thoughts, man? My thoughts are Gilbert I mean, Gilbert Burns is, is tough and skilled, and Hamzat is a prodigy, but green. Like, what I saw, and I worry about putting him in against uh, Usman, Hamzat's boxing, while he has a lot of power and good combos, has uh, has major holes. Like it's a, there's a couple of things that I noticed. I'm curious as to your perspective on this. I think overall your analysis of striking is better, but I think that um, I think Hamzat. Hang, I think he watches his work too much. He's he's real. He's really good. He's so good at being the hammer. He forgets that he can be the nail. And um, I think he hangs around and watches his stuff. So he's there to be countered. Um, he's got, you know, he's got a pretty good chin. Um, but I just think. I think his striking defense into your points earlier about Volkanovski, like there's not, um, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of feints. It's just, it's kind of like rudimentary walk, walk him down striking. I think he stands a little bit too, uh, uh, he stands a little bit too straight up. Um, he's, I think he's got, he's got good cardio, good power. His, uh, his wrestling is obviously amazing, but I think he can and will be a better striker. I just don't think he was used to getting, uh, getting hit back, and he's just he hangs around there to get to get countered, um, and he got I felt like he got countered a lot, um, and uh, you know, and I just think his I think his head movement and his um, and just his striking defense in general um, needs to be a lot tighter because he will um, he will eat a lot of shots, probably not get hurt, but I could see him getting you know, eating 150 strikes or, or 200 strikes against Colby over five rounds. I could see him, um, you know, getting, a, he got, he ate, I felt like he ate some big shots and he lost his balance a few times. It was hard for me to be like any of those really feel like, uh, you got floored knockdown and none of them were scored as knockdowns. That's but bullshit. It, I believe one of those was a clear. Well, it might be, it might knockdown. be, but the, the camera angles were, it was hard to see, but regardless, I think that at least some of them, or at least one that I saw after he ate, a, he ate a really hard right hand and it didn't knock him down. And then a shot after that, like did. And I think a lot of it had to do with where his feet were. Like I just, like he seemed, um, he didn't, he didn't seem like that, like out of it 
you know, very often. He was he was eating the shots. No, he has well. a he has good recovery. He's, but he's probably in pretty I just, good shape. But I I just think his um, I don't think he's the boxer he thinks he is. And no, uh, and that's like, and that I think that that's you know that's a concern because Usman's boxing is. I think fa- is fairly it's fairly meat and potatoes, but he has really good power. And when he when he wants to, he Who's has very good boxing. Te- is, he has very good technique. Really solid man. Really it's, solid. He's got, yeah. it's, well, it's yeah, tight. Yeah. It's it's tight, and his and I think his defense overall, his striking defense is better. And I you know I worry that um, like we you know you put Hamza right if he doesn't if he doesn't work on that a lot and maybe have a couple of fights before he gets to Usman like i think i think Hazmat probably gets KO'd in that fight yeah i i would certainly pick Usman over him and i would have picked Usman over him you know before watching this fight like like you know you you ha- look Gilbert Burns could be finished with a right hand and that was my big concern for him getting finished in this matchup but there was a chance that he was going to get Finished. It was going to be because Kamzat knocked him down with the right hand in the first five minutes. Well, and we and, and, and he did. And he did. And we saw that. And, and he the, did it with the, the jab and the grounded pound. Yeah, it was a jab standing. It was a jab standing southpaw. But it was one of those things where uh, almost like the Conor McGregor initial knockdown against Dustin, where he got the timing. The you know Hamza's well, Gilbert was strike. going forward because exactly. he had to cover distance. That's what I being mean. The smaller man, yeah, right. And so that's exactly what happened to Conor against against Poirier when he was he was trying to move forward. And that's when he got hit with that, you know, that punch. He was creating some of the momentum. So, I, you know, I just think um, I think Hazmat's got a lot of uh, work Kamsa. to do. I do think Kamsa, I do think it was I, from what I saw, and I wasn't watching the best footage of it. It looked like it looked like he clearly won the first and the third. Like, uh, um, to I, me. I would say, I would say the third could certainly be arguable because at some point Gilbert mm-hmm. decided I'm just going to throw. Only overhand rights, and then he landed like he a landed, lot of. He them. landed three of them, but he was but he still ate a ton of shots in that round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah look, look uh, I would have scored it for Jemaya, but I, th- I thought the third round was close. Is all I'm saying. First, it wasn't. Round was it wasn't. A, it wasn't a knockdown. blowout round, but I didn't have any problem. I, I didn't feel like I had a problem judging it. I felt like I felt like yeah, I, uh, I felt like comes up one three and a half out of out of five minutes of that round. At least. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's that's fine with me. Um, and and you know it was in that second round where Gilbert was able to drop him. Gilbert put the fucking pressure on. He did really well. It seemed like Kamzat was a little bit hurt when he was in Gilbert's guard at some point, where Gilbert just literally kicks away his chest and Kamzat just heads backward. Well, um, yeah. one well, just one one thing I forgot to bring up. I saw in that fight like opportunities where the body kick and the head kick were there for Chimaev for Chimaev. That they were, they felt like they were there. Like he shouldn't be really scared of getting taken down. His like, so what? You know, if he gets taken down, I think he's going to be strong enough to get back up. And I don't, I, I didn't, I don't know the exact number of kicks that he threw, but when he was that much bigger and he's that rangy, like I don't under, I don't, un, like it seemed to me that he didn't fight a very strategic fight at all. No, that's um, the thing, and that's why his corner was yelling at him because he decided that he wanted to finish Gilbert Burns. He wanted to run through him like he's been promising everybody he would do. So he started throwing big combos in anticipation of just buzzing, hitting him once and dropping him, right? The guy that got knocked out by Dan Hooker, who now fights at 145 again, is who comes out as facing in this matchup. Comes out a guy who could be fighting at 185, right? So Yeah, I mean, that's hard logic. Shit can happen. I mean, Anthony Pettis knocked out, like, you know, Wonder Boy. I don't think that. Means no, but like, again, this is the logic of a of a ten and zero fighter who hasn't lost mm-hmm. yet. 
And right. and that's the thing. There's a there's a seasoning and a maturation that Kamzat Shumayev needs to go through before he can legitimately challenge for the title and have a good shot of beating a guy like Kamar Usman in his prime. Whether and that or not might he'll be the craziest step up in comp. I'm not sure if we. I would love to look and see. I don't think that would be the next the, matchup. No, no, no. I want to see if that was the craziest step up in in competition a fighter has ever had. What like I don't know. Li Li Zhang was what he was ranked at the time, maybe twelve Mir, or something. Mirchart was yeah. He was something like eleven. Mirchart well, was probably Mir like in another division. Yeah. No, true, um, but still, like that level of competition. Um, going from outside, going from the outside of the top ten to number two, I'm try, I can't. It's, it's think, a big step up for sure. Yeah, I can't think of another example of that. I mean, you, you would you would think somebody like Jerry Prochaska, maybe. Um, I don't know where. Um, mm. I, I don't know where. Who who did he beat before Reyes? No, Oz, Ozdemir. He did his, right. That was Oz, Ozdemir was like on a losing streak. How many? Like how high? Nah, well, he wasn't was outside Ozdemir the top ranked. ten, and that and not in that division. In that division, he was probably still like seven. I mean, honestly, uh, on a three-fight winning streak, it's entirely possible a light heavyweight. But in any case, yeah, look, um, Kamzat, his, he wasn't nearly as accurate or as effective with his offensive striking as as I think we expected him to be. What was working well for him was his uh, southpaw jab in particular, but his jab overall. And we saw that work against Gilbert Burns again when he fought Kamara Usman. Let's not, let's not forget, Gilbert Burns might be either one or one of two UFC fighters that has been knocked out by two jabs uh in two out of three fights, right? Like that's pretty fucking rare. Um, so the jab works against Gilbert Burns, being a smaller man who likes to lunge in, cover distance, and and he's going to generate, like you said, more momentum and power into your punch, especially yeah. a straight punch. He's like he's so like bald bull. You gotta you gotta catch him. You you catch him in on the charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's that's pretty reasonable. Again, given his height discrepancy at that weight division, it makes sense. So as far as quick shout-outs, Julio Arsman came through for me, looked really good. Pieced up Daniel Santos, who's a UFC debuting fighter. He's excited. He, he'll probably stick around for a little bit. Rocky Pennington uh, basically used her grit and, and yeah, experience knew, to beat yeah. Aspen Land. We expected that. Although Aspen Land looked good in the third round, to her credit, Vince Pichel uh, was not able to to do what I thought he might be able to do against Mark Madsen. You made a good pick with Mark Madsen as your number four pick there. Um, although I thought it was a more competitive fight than maybe the scores reflect, Mark Madsen was still able to do uh, to be effective past the one-and-a-half-round mark, which was where I expected he would start to fall off and Vince Mitchell's pressure would start to come on. But let's face it, Vince Mitchell has lost to wrestlers. I just didn't consider Mark Madsen to be like a well-rounded enough wrestler to pull it off. Uh, him training a fight ready probably helps. Tisha Torres... Mackenzie Dern, super close fight, could have gone either way, went to Dern by a close margin. Look, Dern's, um, her size, her athleticism, her uh, the fact that she's now in shape and actually improving her technique, the fact that she's Which, willing to just push forward and well, that throw was bombs. Very, that was very clear, like, number round one, Torres, round two, Dern. Who'd you, who mm -hmm. did you score round three for? Uh, super close. I thought Mackenzie Dern probably edged it because she was putting just more offense on her, and it seemed like Tisha Torres was uncomfortable at moments in that fight, whereas I didn't see that as much in Dern. Uh, Dern, even when she landed her sloppier strikes, they were harder. She's more explosive. She has more power. Tisha Torres, I'd be surprised if she has a knockdown to her name in the UFC after all of these fights. Um, granted, a lot of her opposition is pretty high level. So even though she's very technical, very sharp, not a whole lot of power, right? And and she's her being the smaller girl in this matchup, she was skirting the the the, the edge of the fence, and Mackenzie Dern was moving forward in a close mm -hmm. fight. More often than not, that person will win out. But you know, there's certainly an argument to be made in favor of Tisha Torres. Ian Gary, Darian Weeks. I officially picked Ian Gary, but I took Darian Weeks in our draft competition because there was value at plus two sixty. I would have gotten two points. It was a competitive fight. 
It was close. Ian Gary edged it, and he deserved it, but it was close. It was a proper test, not a plus, uh, not a minus 360 kind of matchup, which is the reason that I felt obliged to take that plus 260 line on Darian Weeks when it comes to our competition to potentially score three points. Um, you, you know, it was worth the try. But Darian Weeks, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a good all-rounder, but he's going to lose to these top prospects. He's going to lose to the gritty veterans. Um, he's going to beat maybe the the the, 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 the maybe lower th- 20 or 25% of this division. Um, Mickey Gal, Mike Malott. Mike Malott, you know, I, I thought that he wouldn't do well if it went past the first round. It never did. Mike Malott was able to land bombs. Mickey Gal walked right into them, and he wasn't able to get takedowns. Malott's wrestling was uh, good enough to avoid that. Anthony Hernandez basically put in a Cain Velasquez performance against Josh, Josh Fremd, who's a pretty good fighter himself. Um, just relentless fucking aggression and offensive takedowns and just... I mean, it was fantastic. I Both these guys trained at elevation, and Frem took it on short notice. So it was really cool to see Hernandez pull that off. Uh, Kay Hansen, 22 years old. We should stop putting our stock on her. She is not going to be anything special anytime well, she's out soon. Of, she's, she's out of the UFC. Yeah, she, she needs some seasoning. And quite frankly, like from now on, anybody that I know to have an OnlyFans account from which they make a good portion of their money, I'm going to assume that they're not investing as much time into their training as they could. Just, just going to eh, make that I'm assumption, especially when I think, you're that I think young that's, and immature. I think that's, I think that's judgmental, and I don't agree with that. But well, to be fair, I, I, I uh, like, I feel the same way about really any fighter that's going to generate most of their income from something other than fighting when they're making like ten grand from the UFC. It's not just a Kay Hansen thing because uh, that's her avenue. It's just in general, like a young kid like her, who like is able to make a decent amount of money from this other source. Like, she's not really developing. She's not really showing a lot of the promise that we saw in her. And maybe she's not getting matched up in a, in a super fair way because she got that first-round finish in her UFC debut. Uh, Alexei Olenek, man, just scarf-hold, locked that choke in against, quote-unquote, black belt Jared Van Dara. Uh, so a late pick for me after... Yeah, um, you know what, Nick? I, you are I, welcome. I, was, I changed your mind on that one. You no, are welcome, sir. No, I was really... No, I didn't change my mind. I was really on the yes, fence about it. How dare you? Um, you literally changed your mind. I literally said... Him because he's retiring and you know he's more experienced, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, you know what? I'm gonna change my pick. And Nick, no, that's not true. I, we because we didn't have to make a pick until the end, and then I finally I had to pick I him because because uh, Rosen. I didn't really pick it. No, you you didn't really pick off. him. We just gave our opinions on it, and you initially picked uh, you initially picked Bandera, um, and then I gave my argument for Orlenic, and you changed your mind. Nick, I'm taking the credit for this. I really am, and I'll tell you why. Well, I need to. Take I won the, the I won the event exactly in terms that's of points. Why. So you picked up four points. I only picked up three. Nick. Now I'm leading only by three points. Uh, my, let me see here, my 40 points to your 37. So Nick, again, a competitive season. I'm, I'm, I'm so into this. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and break down UFC Fight Night Luke versus Muhammad. And we'll not make it real quick because no, nobody cares about this card. Not, hey. even the par- not even the parents of the fighters on it. All right. <laughs> um, cool. Let's, well, do it, let's do it up. Back on the podcast, and we're going to get into the MMA Geeks draft. We take turns picking fighters, competing on the upcoming card, tally up the points at the end of Saturday night. A regular pick is worth one point if you pick a fighter successfully. If you pick an underdog of plus 150 or above successfully, you get two points. You pick a fighter of plus 250 or above, 
you get three points, Nick. That's and I went for that yet. Hail Mary last but week. No, it, it hasn't. This it could it might happen. It might happen on this card. You know what? It might just Nikolai. I believe I have the first uh, first pick this time. You picked Peter Yan as your first pick last time. I mean, really along really with the rest of the world. So yeah, don't. No, exactly. no, no. Well, well. To, to be fair, I uh, Volkanovski. I, I definitely favored that um, matchup over this over that one. But uh, but I you know I, I did feel like I talked about how Aljamain Sterling could be Peter Yan. I just didn't think he was mentally durable enough, and he proved me wrong. Anyway, my first pick is going to be in a matchup where. There's, I guess, some question marks, especially given the line. Brandon Jenkins against Drakkar Close. Drakkar Close got knocked out by Benil Daryush. He then good had fight. to pull out I of mean, a fight. Very, it yeah, it was good. a damn good fight. And he had Benil Daryush, who's top like two or three or four now. He had him on skates. He had him like close to out there, right? Even though Drakkar Close is not known for his power. And Benil Daryush, to be fair, has been known for being on skates. <laughs> that is fair. Extent. Great, great uh, fighter. Usually, great usually fighters, against heavier he, hitters, though, but that's true. Yeah. Um, and then Drakkar Close came back, and he was supposed to fight Jeremy Stevens, and Jeremy Stevens shoved him aggressively at the weigh-in. And apparently Drakkar Close had some kind of concussion effects from the whiplash, which is concerning, right? Was that loss to uh, to Benil Daryush, like, did that have more of an effect than maybe we realized? Could he have gotten, like, could his chin have been ruined by that one? It's possible. But... He's coming back here to a matchup that the UFC believes he's going to win. They're doing him a favor for some reason, maybe after that Jeremy Stevens situation. And uh, I respect that. I'm going to pick Jakar Close first because I don't think Brandon Jenkins is anywhere near this level. I think Jakar Close should be better just about anywhere unless his chin is so ravaged, unless his confidence is so ruined that he's a fraction of his former self. Jakar Close will win this fight, and uh, maybe this will be a rare finish for him. I, I like Jakar Close. We're talking about a guy who's got signature wins over um over you know tough challenging puzzles uh mark daikizi orlando venata bobby green nothing to sneeze at um what he's just levels above or he was levels above and the, again the fight against daryush was was a hell of a scrap um before that you know before that happened so it's uh you know, but who is he and how badly was he hurt? He still thinks he's going to need surgery someday. He was badly, badly injured by that. And I can understand why. Like, everyone, fighters are injured all the time. I'm sure that the Darius KO, um, you know, left a, left a mark, so to speak. But if you're standing, if you're depleted from, um, if you're depleted from your weight cut and you're standing there minding your own business and you're not expecting it at all and a, and a, and a powerful guy like moving forward, like really pushes you. Like that can I can I can see that causing an injury. Like they were two guys up on a stage at that point. They were not in an athletic competition. Um, and you know, like weird weird stuff can happen. So we I just don't know how much he's uh, he's been able to come back from that. And and um, you know we'll find out. I think the whole thing for him has been. Uh, really traumatic um psychologically traumatic i think he's embarrassed uh to some extent although i don't think he should be and uh so we'll see we'll see what happens um what he's been getting up to at fight ready and um we'll see if after two years he's um he's ready to over two years really he's uh ready to return um and be a be you know he's been around a little bit longer than a prospect at this point but an up-and-comer in the division yeah, I mean, he's, um, I guess you can look at him as kind of a high-level gatekeeper. You know, he, he was once looked at as a prospect, but at this point, it's a little bit tougher, well, I think, to look at him this way. Well, he's only had, I mean, he's, he had an, a very, very early loss in, like, his, 
his fourth, third or fourth UFC fight against David Taymor. Like he lost. Yeah, eleven two big, and one is nothing. You know, to big at. big deal. And his only other fight was in a you know was in a banger against uh, against Benil Dariush. Um, where he Nick, know, can I ask you a serious question that's completely yeah. uh, mostly unrelated? Where the hell did David Taymor go after his loss to Oliveira? What the fuck happened, dude? He just he was like a good fighter, he just disappeared, man. Yeah, that's a good point. That was um, th- that was three years ago, and yeah. yeah, he he beat he beat Venata, he beat Close, he beat Nick Lentz, which is you know not an easy thing to do. And then he got choked oh. out. He got choked out by Oliveira, like that, which would be like forty-two Oliveira fights ago, if it was three years. Well, um, right, and, and that's the thing is that Oliveira is now the best fighter in the world. So the last guy that David Tamor lost to was freaking Oliveira. The guy that he lost to uh, prior to that was his was his MMA debut, right? So he's lost to the very best on the planet and probably yeah. one of the worst on the planet at the beginning of his career. Dude, like he was a really good fighter. I, I like, I really enjoyed watching him fight. His brother sucked, but he was really solid. Anyway, yeah. He fought, um, anyway, he fought. He's Oliveira's fought six times uh, since that. Since then, victory. Insane. But but who knows? Sometimes you know stuff just happens with guys. Like what about? Um, oh my God, who was that guy that had got a concussion in training and never came back? And he was right. You're at talking the, about that team alpha male guy who no, won the Ultimate a, Fighter, Chris Holdsworth. No, I'm talking about the guy no. who um, moved. TJ, yes, that guy. TJ, what is his last name? God damn it, this is gonna kill me next. I know that's In why I've got to look. I've got no. I need to. I need to know right now. Um, <laughs> um yeah, but I, but I do have that. So you, TJ, you agree? TJ, I assume TJ Grant. TJ that's Grant right. went that's right. on a. Uh, oh my God, he has not. He has not fought in nine years. Nine years? I would have said five, Nick. That's crazy. I know, dude. Yeah, well, it's because we're parents, and you know, Holy he went. He shit. moved from. He moved from welterweight to lightweight. And went on a run against. I've been a parent for only two and a half of those nine Shane, years, Nick. There's Shane no Roller, <laughs> Carlo. He went and run. Uh, uh, yeah, he went and run against Shane Roller, Carlo Prater, Evan Dunham, Matt Wyman, Gray Maynard, and then he was wow. set up to fight Benson Henderson, and that was like, yeah, nine years ago. He just and he just hasn't fought Insane. since. He he earned his way up to a title shot, and all went downhill for the poor guy. Nick, what is your first pick after I've picked your car? Class? Oh yeah, well that was going to be my first pick. So. Um, and I realize we've been tangenting a bunch, so I've got to get, uh, I got to get back. That's what happens this. when you don't have a producer. Yeah, right. I'm gonna go with. I really thought that I was gonna get first pick, so I completely messed this up. Take your time, Nick. Don't let me derail yeah, you. Um, you know what? <laughs> um, there's just not. Yeah, there's not a lot, a lot of obvious like second. I'm gonna go with. Uh, Oh, why not? I'm gonna go with the Mongolian, uh, the Mongolian fighter Alatang. Uh, how the hell do you say this guy's last name? Hilly. Alatang Hilly, I believe. Alatang Hilly. Uh, you know, coming off of a draw and then a loss to Casey Kenny, where he went the he went the distance. And Casey Kenny's a tough dude, but he's fighting Kevin Kroom, who's yeah. I mean, not really. I still don't really think like a very UFC caliber uh, guy. Um, Coming off two losses, he's getting another shot, and I've got to go with. Um, I think he's going to get. Uh, I think he'll get. He'll get pieced up by uh, by the Mongolian knight. So here's the thing about the Mongolian knight: he's talented. He's got skills just about everywhere. He's athletic. He's strong. He hits pretty hard. His output is super low, man. He's. I don't think he's ever landed like more than fifty strikes in a UFC fight, and he's got multiple three round UFC fights at this point. 
He did lose to Casey Candy, but his wins are over Badgerel Dana, who's a really good fighter, to be fair. And Ryan Benoit, who's not a very good fighter, was a split decision win for him. Yeah, I mean, not kind a very good fighter, dice. but Ryan... Ryan Benoit is tricky. Is a tricky, crafty guy. Yeah. Does he have a win over Sergio Pettis? And he's he always does. kind of like yeah. it, he's always kind of in it. He doesn't really go away. But here's the interesting thing about this: Haley Alatang, his last fights have been at 135, correct? Yeah, no, I guess he has been fighting at, in this weight division, and he's fighting Kroom. Kroom is going to be so much bigger than him. So I do see a little bit of risk. This would have been further down the line for me because of his low output, because the the fact that Kroom is going to throw lots and lots of offense at all times. Um, you know, Kroom didn't look so bad even in his last matchup against Brian Kelliger. Kelliger had to, like, struggle through that to actually get that win. Um, and he had to, like, persevere through some tough moments and get takedowns. And that's just the thing, right? If Alatang wants to get takedowns, he will. It's just, will he? Will he actually go for them? Will he actually throw enough strikes to to edge it, edge it on the scorecards? Which is why I'm not super confident in it, but I do have to agree with you on the pick. My second pick is going to be in the Pat Sabatini-TJ Laramie matchup. Oh, uh, God damn it. I should have taken that. Yeah, you, you probably should have as, as, as your first pick. TJ Laramie is... Like, pretty good overall. He's a good grappler, good wrestler, pretty decent, serviceable striking, I would say, and he's improving. But Pat Sabatini is like the better version of him just about everywhere. And we saw in his last match- matchup against Tucker Lutz in a matchup where, man, I really thought highly of Lutz, and I thought that Sabatini was more limited than he showed himself to be in that matchup. Um, he looked really good, dude. Lutz is no joke, and he very, very clearly beat that man. So I, I've got to give this man his dues. He's he's one of those like mostly grapplers, mostly wrestlers, who's actually making it work at a pretty, you know, at a mid level in the UFC, and he's looking promising as he kind of works his way up. So I'm a believer in Sabatini at this point. I'm, I'm going to count on him with his uh, relentless uh, wrestling pressure. And honestly, he, he even hits hard, right? Like again, he should be a little bit better than. Uh, a b- better than TJ Laramie in just about every department of MMA in this one. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree with you on that. The, um, my next pick, all oh, these women are pretty, uh, evenly matched in size. And, uh, my Boyd and Silva is actually going to be a little bit shorter in there. I just think that she's, uh, she's been in there with uh, a much higher level of composition, uh, than, uh, Yanan Wu. Um, who is still, I think, uh, picked up one win in the UFC against Lauren Mueller, but she's lost to the likes of Gina Mazzani, Jocelyn Edwards, Mizuki Inu. Um, I just, she just hasn't shown um, that she can she can win and be competitive uh, on the same level that that Silva has. Um, who's you know who's got a few more signature wins over you know people contenders, gatekeepers, if you will, like the Jillian Robertsons. Um, uh, and even you know, in a, a draw against Montana De La Rosa, um, I think that uh, Myra Buena Silva should be able to should be better um, wherever wherever this fight goes. I worry about her a little bit on the feet, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna pick her to win. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm worried about her on the feet. The thing about Yunnan Wu is that she's like a serviceable striker, but it seems like when she gets hit by athletic people. She doesn't take it well, and she kind of just kind of, I don't know, almost hides within herself. Like, she just is not performing it to the same level. She's just more worried about maybe trying not to get clocked too hard again. And Marabena Silva hits really fucking hard. She's got that kind of shooter box style standing where she's plodding forward with bombs. Um, and she doesn't have any wrestling, right? So there's a kind of a gap in her game, Benesilva's, but her grappling is really good, particularly off of her back, man. She catches armbars over girls that you wouldn't think she could. Yanan Wu, again, 
a, an all-rounder, but I don't think she's going to like the firepower that's coming at her at every stage in this fight. So I do agree with you on the pick, and this was, you know, the top four or five picks for me on my list. And my next pick, for my next pick, Nikolai, I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Penny Kiel's out to beat Lena Landsberg. Lena uh, Landsberg is yeah. a good fighter. She is often underrated. She's often the underdog, even when she comes through with some pretty impressive wins. But at 40 years old, after a multi-year layoff, going in here against Panny Kanzad, who is super high output, who's going to put the pressure on her, she's going to put her hands on her. Lena Landsberg is not the best striker. She doesn't have the best output. She can outgrapple a girl occasionally. I don't know if she's going to do that at this point in her career, at this point in her life. Maybe she's in an amazing place. Maybe she's been improving and working on her craft. But at age 40, at 135 pounds, and granted for women, maybe it's not the death knell that it is uh, for men, right? For men, if you hit those mid-30s at 135, you're probably done. Unless you're on, on some shit, you're not competing at the highest level uh, in all reality. And maybe that doesn't apply in the same way to women, but uh, I've got panic hands out here, man. Lena Landsberg is past her prime, and even even in her prime, I would pick panic hands out to, to edge her out Um this version of Panic Kanzad, which I believe, you know, she's the best she's ever been. It's uh, it's funny. They just uh, have you ever seen the um, the Danish Swedish show The Bridge? No. Uh, well, it's about um, you know Copenhagen and Malmo, Sweden, are connected by a bridge, and in the in the series, a body is found uh, with it's it's been uh, cut in half, and in a, one half it's on each side. So a cop oh. from Malmo and a cop from Copenhagen. Um, work together, and we, it's interesting here because you've got the Iranian fighter Kanzad who fights out of Copenhagen, and you've got the Swedish fighter Lindbergh fighting out of Malmo. Um, so that's kind of that is fascinating. You know, kind of I wonder if that shows like a hit in both. Oh yeah, like it, was both a, it was a huge. It was yeah, it was, it was a huge. Huh? Hit. It was a hit everywhere. Cool. And not only was it a huge hit everywhere, it was then remade. There was an American version they did between I think between Texas and Mexico. There've been. I mean, there might have been a version between England and France, but there it was the, the bridge that was that good. Wow, the, the bridge is terrific. I re, it's on Hulu. I highly recommend watching the original. Um, Thank you for that Swedish recommendation. Nikolai. I might production. just do that. But a little bit of an aside for me. Listen, I I like. I'm not as confident as you are. I think this is one of like this this card lost its real um, MMA geek uh, fight right, which was um, which was going to be. Uh, oh my God! What's his name against uh, against Lizaz? Uh Oh, uh, see now I can't remember who pulled out against Lizaz. Was that really going to be like the fight though? Uh, Zaleski? I feel like Zaleski against Zaleski against Lizaz. Yeah, it's was a good fight. That, it's it's like it was the nerd fight. That's all I'm saying. It was like the yeah, fight. Yeah, I heard that. that. Like, I heard that. Um, it is a shame that Zaleski withdrew. Yeah. Um, but I think this kind of for me replaces it, and like I'm just. I'm curious because Kanzad, as good as she is, like that fight with um, Alexis Davis was damn close. Like I believe I had Kans, I believe I had Davis, and I think a lot of other people did. I think too. a lot of people did. Yeah, that's um, a fair point. Alexis so Davis, like, not a young woman, not super can, athletic either. Yeah, and can, she's and not can, as she's better than Lena Landsberg though overall. Yeah, but like, Lena Landsberg, her accomplishments Lena Landsberg, and all yeah, that. Lena Landsberg has size, and Kanzad seems to fade a little bit. Maybe so. I could. I could um, hear that. So does Lena like? I oh, think wait, you no, always can, assume Lena Landsberg to be. A bigger lady than she is. She's not that big, dude. Probably, yeah. Lena Landsberg is is five like, seven average for this weight division. Five seven, sixty five inch reach. Yeah, in fact, Kanzad is the same height and has another half inch. So I'd have to see there, you know, how how muscular. But yeah, anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to this fight. I'm picking Kanzad, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's an upset. And the odds on this fight are 
They're pretty uh, far apart, yeah. Are they? Minus 425, plus 320 for Lance. Yeah, that's, I, think, I think that's insane. I think that's yeah, crazy. I, 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 I do um, think it's a little far apart, but, and you're right, like in, in these women's fights, the Marbu and Silva Yana Mu fight, like this fight, put a couple of bucks on Lena Landsberg by decision, put a couple of bucks on Yana Mu by decision. Um, and then maybe if you want to include Panikianzad and Marabona Silva in your parlays, you can do that. Mm-hmm. But there's a real opportunity here because a lot of these women's fights are super close. And Silva and Kianzad are probably going to both walk away with wins. But they're probably going to – at least one of those is going to be competitive at least. So here's my – I'm going to do my plus two fight now or my, uh, my extra points fight. Is that right? Talk to me. I think – Listen, you've got two light heavyweights both moving up and fighting a heavyweight fight. I'm not even sure why. Like, Devin Clark and William Knight is happening at heavyweight. And William Knight is a bigger dude. Now, if this was in a pay-per-view octagon, I think I'm going to pick Devin Clark. I think I'm going to pick Devin Clark to snipe and to stay away from the big, strong monster and and not get caught, not get caught against the cage, not end up on bottom and not get muscled. This is in the apex. Little cage. Giant guy, <laughs> little cage. Like, I think that over three rounds, I worry about Devin Clark not getting, um, not ending up with William Knight on top of him, uh, not ending up with the stronger, a, a bigger, stronger guy um, clinching and holding him against the cage. I just don't know that Devin Clark's going to be able to avoid him. So I think that there's a lot of, I think that the size and this, the fact this is a heavyweight, which is kind of weird. I don't think I don't look at Devin Clark and I'm like, there's a guy that needs to move up. Like, I don't, it, it just doesn't quite make sense to me. Definitely not. He's like five, what? Eight is, uh, no, he's taller than that. He's literally as wide as he is tall. No, you're, you're thinking of somebody else. That's not Devin William. Clark. Devin Clark's six feet tall. Oh, I was talking about William Knight is who I was referring to. Um, yeah, but William Knight is uh, William Knight is five ten, but he's he's five ten, but he's as wide as he is. I mean, yeah, William Knight's yeah, that, big, that's that's why I said that. I meant that. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's just a bigger he's, he's just a big strong tank of a man, and I don't think uh, I think I think I don't think this fight's going to be pretty. Um, but I think that Knight should be able to outmuscle Devin Clark in the apex cage, and I'm gonna go with the underdog for two points there. Yeah, I, had- I think that's a I think that's a pretty good call uh, on your part. I, I think that's worth taking. I mean, here's the thing: the William, William Knight would need to land some bombs to beat Devin Clark, and he could do that. He absolutely could. The thing is that Devin Clark might have little trouble taking William Knight down, but it, it is William Knight's just like just his. He's got a strong mind. He really does. And Devin Clark, to me, in some ways, seems like a mental midget. He's improved on that game, on that part of his game, but it's not natural but for him to be mentally strong in the in the face of fire. I also think he's mentally strong. I yeah. also think that Devin Clark could weigh thirty pounds less than Knight. Going it's, into this fight. it's quite possible. Like, it's quite possible. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if, if William Knight was was like Devin, not far off the heavyweight limit. If Devin, I could see Devin Clark coming in at two twenty five and William Knight coming in at two fifty easily. Yeah, I, w- I would not be shocked by that at all. Um, yeah, l- look, uh, I think Devin Clark's wrestling could be the, the trouble issue, but I think it's worth a, a two-point flyer. I-, I don't think it's a bad pick on your part at all. Um, my next pick 
It's going to be in the Munir Lazio. Well, wait, 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 do you agree? Yeah. On the, you agree with that pick on Knight? My my initial instinct was to edge slightly Knight, and then I thought about Clark's wrestling, and I edged slightly his way. It's it's a pick and fight at plus one fifty odds. You got to pick the guy who's plus one fifty when it comes to that. When the odds are in play, um, I guess yeah, I, I guess I'll agree with you on Knight. Like easily, easily could go either way. It's just the odds. Like I have it highlighted that Knight is a plus one fifty underdog, and and if I would have gotten to this pick, I would have made the same pick. Okay. Uh, it, it's just incredibly hard for me to be confident in this at all. So I'm gonna go with the underdog in this case, it's a dog right. or pass fight, if you ask me. In the Munir Laziz versus Ange. Lusa fight, and I'm not sure if I'm saying Ange's name correctly. Um, Lusa basically wa- lost a contender series bout. He's getting this like last minute call up here to fight Lazez, who was supposed to fight, you know, a, a much more experienced, much more crafty opponent, as you alluded to earlier. Um, Lazez, you know, made his UFC debut against Razak Al Hassan, looked really good, uh, put the pressure on, put the volume on him, and he was like a last minute guy who they just brought in, um, apparently like a recommendation to Dana White at a party, and Dana called Sean Shelby and said, make this happen, and Sean Shelby was like, I'm gonna fucking get Lazez knocked the fuck out if you make me make him fight. And he did, and he put him in that matchup, and Lazez did really well, uh, started the Razak Al Hassan losing streak, I believe, and then he lost to the much more experienced, um, Wardley Alves, right? Wardley Alves took advantage of the fact that he, Lazes keeps his guard super high up and just fucking just waged war on that man in between his guard to the body, etc. Um, I, I think Angelusa is a good kickboxer. He's got, he's got overall decent game. He's athletic as hell, but he's not the kind of guy to push a fight. He's not the kind of guy to, like, he's got, he does smart things. They're almost like three seconds too late. I, I guess like he, he goes with a counter of something he should have done like when, when that first punch was thrown, not like four seconds later as if you're drilling and you're trying to figure it out. Um, I just don't think he's going to have the the intensity that he's going to need to beat Lazez, especially with just a few days to prepare for this fight. So I've got Munir Lazez to uh, to beat Angelusa probably by decision. Yeah, I just don't know how Lazez is going to... Um... I think this is. I wasn't sure yet if I was going to take a flyer on this, but I was thinking about it. You were. And, uh, I actually don't know the odds on this. What are the odds? Like? It's about the. Uh, it's like um, Lusa is a dog, of course, but it goes between like plus one fifty and plus one eighty, and okay. uh, Lazier's is pretty consistently around minus two hundred. Um, yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Lusa has. I think he's got the skill and the athleticism to win the fight. He just doesn't really press the issue enough. And I think Lazez is going to be able to pressure him effectively, especially given the short notice, especially given the small cage. Um, but I, but I, I can see where you're coming from in considering the uh, taking the under in this one because Ange is not a bad fighter. He's got experience. He's got skill. So my pick again, huh? Uh-huh. This card is not fun to pick. <laughs> it's like not. It's not fun to pick at all. Even a lot uh, of these like major underdog, like major favorites, a couple of them are going to take losses here. I know, and I want the plus twos, but these aren't like I'm looking at the stuff, and I'm just like in. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. The uh, who is that fight against? <laughs> yeah, like I'm gonna listen. This could this could, I could eat shit on this one too, but. I I really liked uh, what we saw from Andre uh, Philo against uh, Michelle Perea in his on, in his last fight on on short notice, and Miguel Beza has gotten fucked. He's got sorry, Evie. Um, he's gotten really he's gotten really banged around um, in his last in his last couple fights. Um, 
and he hasn't had you know, five months to go. He got knocked out by Chaos Williams. That was five months after um, eating a bunch of shots and eating a lot of offense from some Santiago Pensanibio. Um I think this is a tough out. Like, Philo is real. I don't think he's going to get uh, Philo out of there. And Baeza does not seem to be someone who gets stronger as the fight goes on. So I'm going to pick the, the plus 150 dog for two points, Andre Philo, to take out uh, and give the third loss in a row um, to Miguel Baeza. Um, yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from. I probably would have made the same pick if it came down to me making uh, a pick on this matchup. I, I do I do give the edge to Baeza slightly outside of our kind of picking competition, I mean, right? But I just think I, yeah. the value is there on Fialo. Right. The thing is, Fialo's really good in the first round. He's got power. He puts pressure on, um, lands bombs. But if it doesn't finish then, and he's facing a good opponent, his good opponent is going to start to take over. And Miguel Baez is the younger man here. Where do you, well, he, what, where are you saying that? Where are you getting your evidence from that? Well, outside of his UFC debut, in which he had a decent third round against uh, against Michelle Perseris, per, per, Pereira, yeah, yeah, who's always who's usually pretty weak in the third. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but that's the thing is that he had a good first round, as as he usually does. Had a bad second round. That seems to be the trend in, in his entire career. He does well early. If he doesn't get you out of there, you start to take over. He looked pretty decent in the third round in, in his UFC debut, to his credit. So, like, there's got to be short, some value on short, on short notice against the fair really big, against very the good big point. Guy. That that is a fair that is a fair point. Used to train at AKA, has since switched to Sanford MMA. Maybe that'll be the difference maker for him. Um, I just feel like Beza, despite the fact that he maybe doesn't always have the strongest third round, uh, I think it's more of a maturity thing and an experience thing against somebody like Ponzinibbio. Beza looked good in the first round. Was doing really well. Fight slowly got away from him. Um, again, it's a close matchup. I think you made the right uh, uh, the right choice just, in taking that he, plus one fifty. Just gets hurt a lot. Matt Brown hurt him. Ponzinibbio hurt him. Chaos. Yeah, Williams and Fialo has power earlier. Those are all fair points. And I talked about uh, after Matt Brown hurt him. I talked about how a guy like that, like even though he recovered, he recovered quickly, eventually that chin is going to give. And unfortunately, the UFC gave him too big of a step up. There's a there's a major like. There's a big downside to getting a big finish in a UFC debut because the UFC will fast track you if you do that. And sometimes it ruins legitimate prospects that could potentially be champions in the future. If you throw them into the fire too early, man, it's going to fuck with their head. It's going to fuck with their physicality. It might ruin their chin. And I, I hope that's not the case with Baeza, but but there's a chance that's the case. Um, I Again, picking-wise, edging Baeza, but I think you made the right call in taking that plus 150, taking the potential two points in picking Fialo. My next pick is going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to take an underdog rider, Nick. I feel as if, nah, oh, it's not even, I don't think, oh, it's not even enough for an underdog. Never mind. I'm going to go ahead and take Estella Nunes to beat Sam Hughes. I think Sam Hughes is, like, she's gritty. She's got heart. But she does get kind of smoked by higher level competition. And Estelle Nunes has more potential, in my opinion, than Sam Hughes does. I think that she's going to be able to outstrike her. The wrestling might be a little bit of a question mark in this one, and maybe Sam Hughes will be able to get top position on points. Maybe that's her avenue to win the fight. But I'm going to take Estelle Nunes, who's a mature fighter. She's an established 
talent, despite the fact that she's making her UFC debut against the girl who's really been kind of labeled as a jobber. I could see this being another example of a of a, a women's fight that is extremely close, despite the odds. And I could see myself regretting this. But uh, but and as a matter of fact, I got two of the uh, three women's picks on this one. So there's a lot of risk uh, in those more often than not. And I'm not sure why to be to be completely if, honest a, with you. Not if you're me, but okay. Um, you know what, Nick? I'm, I'm going to start tracking your female picks. I, I don't think they're as impressive as you think they are, but I'm going to take Estella Nunes to beat Sam Hughes. Okay. Ugh. You who picked freaking Holly Holm to beat Amanda Nunes? Come on, Nikolai. Get out of here. Yeah, good point. Um, <laughs> you who picked uh, Amanda Nunes to beat Juliana Pena? Come on, Nick. It was a terrible pick. What were you thinking? Very funny. Uh, I'm going to go with the main event next, which we've somehow avoided to this point. Listen, Bilal Muhammad looked like a tenacious takedown master against uh, against Stephen Thompson. Um, and so did Gilbert Burns. <laughs> like, Gilbert Burns is a high-level fucking fighter. We all I know, know that. I know he and is. And Muhammad was like, more Stephen dominant. Tom- I know. My point is that Stephen Thompson's takedown defense is not great at this point. Uh, like, yeah, it does seem that way. Um. And I do think, and I, but I, and I also think that he looked pretty bad against Leon Edwards in that first round. I'm. But he, he's, to be fair, Bilal Muhammad has looked bad in the first rounds of several fights that he ended up winning. Yeah. That's a thing that a pressure fighter think, who doesn't have power or athleticism man. does. I don't think he was uh, going to yeah, win maybe that not. Leon Edwards fight. But, uh, maybe not. I, I think that. A co- I just don't think that Vicente Luque is going to. St- be put on his back for five rounds i don't and i think that he's i think that given the opportunity this is really a question of if Bilal muhammad is stuck on the feet with luke i think that luke does what he did to him last time i think vincente luke is a just a proprietor of violence and is one of those guys that hurts you every time he touches you um and can he can kind of he, he can kind of like steal your soul over the course of a fight I think Bilal Muhammad's got a ton of heart. I just there's no there's just no plan B. There's no plan B for him. And if he cannot keep Luke on his back, which isn't going to be easy because Luke's jits is good and he's a, and like he's a strong, tenacious guy. Like I don't think he's going to be able to get blanketed. And I usually in these kinds of fights, I'll pick the wrestler. Like I just. I, I think that uh, I think Luke is too good to get held down for five rounds. Yeah, that's the thing is that Luke's takedown defense isn't excellent, but he does have really good jujitsu. He has really good darts chokes that work well against those guys that are going to shoot. He does a really good job of getting back up. He does a really and, good job of turning a guy over when he is on his back. Because let's face it, Luke's given up a bunch of takedowns in the UFC. But, but he the hasn't gotten is, dominated that way in that position, right? No, no, I, I don't disagree. No, that's the thing is that very few people nowadays are able to really hold him down, although he did lose to um, is it Mike Rhodes. I forget the name of the guy that he lost to from American Top Team on The Ultimate Fighter uh, Live. But Mike, uh, Mike, Mike Graves, but that was, se- it was yeah. almost seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no joking. You're right, and he's a close training partner of – uh, guys like Kamar Usman up until a couple of years ago, guys like Gilbert Burns, right? Pretty high level. Gilbert Burns made huge improvements in his wrestling, presumably. So has Vincente Luque. Um, 
I'm going to be honest with you. I would have taken the rider if I had the chance to pick this fight. I would have taken the rider on Bilal Muhammad because I think there's a chance that he can win a decision here by grounding him in at least three of those I think there rounds. Are, I think there is two, and he's just just barely at the plus 150. Right. Um, and, and that's the thing is that Muhammad, look, edge to Luke outside of the odds, if you tell me to pick him, I'm going to pick the guy that's a little more dangerous over the guy that, that can consistently score takedowns, do you, think, et do you think this short cage favors Muhammad or favors Luke um, well, that's the thing is they're both pressure fighters, but Luke is relentlessly pre- like he will pressure to his own detriment. He will pressure his way into major strikes by Stephen Thompson. By the way, MMA math: Luke got dominated by Thompson, Bilal dominated Thompson, right? So, it, it, you know, the odds are a little bit wide apart for my taste. I get that they fought before. I get that Luke has knocked him out, but um, look. Vincente Luque is going to be faster. He's way more dangerous. He has a good chin. He's not the kind of guy to give up. He has plenty of experience at this point. Um, but Bilal Muhammad, if he's got that like, if he's got that Dagestani wrestling game happening now, which is possible based on what we've been seeing lately, I could see him fucking flooring him for for two or three rounds. Um, but then we've seen him go against really athletic guys, and Vincente Luque tends to look his best in a third round of a fight. He's got multiple third round finishes, right? So there's little reason to assume that he's going to get tired. Blah Muhammad also tireless to his credit. So I'm intrigued by the matchup. I'm glad it's five rounds. Um, and, you know, I, I guess slight edge to Luke, but for, for the, for the odds, I probably would have picked Muhammad, but, but again, uh, you know, Luke did knock him the fuck out on the first round. I believe that's the only knockout, at least in the UFC, that Bilal Muhammad, only time he's ever been finished in the UFC. So early in his career, to be fair, and Bilal is at his best. They're both at their best. I'm excited to see the matchup. But I, I can see the avenue for Bilal Muhammad to steal a decision here. Plus 275 odds on Muhammad by decision. I think that's worth, uh, if only uh, a few yeah, of you dollars. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that. I also, I mean, I think Luke is going to really try to make him pay on his entries also. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, I'm not that confident with this, but um, no, but and and there's a reason it's your fifth pick. Like this is where we are at this point. We're never confident in our picks once we come down to to this level. Um, for my next picnic, I'm going to take. Uh, I I'm going to take a heavyweight fight, knowing that you know, knowing that anything could fucking happen. I'm going to take Martin Budai to beat Chris Barnett. But that's actually like a pretty solid, like he's got some fundamentals. He can get cracked and not give a shit and just fight through it. He knows to grab the clinch when those situations happen. Um, he will wear you down in the clinch if he feels like that's going to tire you out and create openings later in a fight. Um, and he will just gnaw at you with like heavy knees to the thigh. I mean, the kind of knees that make you make you limp the next day. You rarely see that in the clinch. He can do damage with that. Um, puts just a relentless pressure. He makes pretty good decisions in most matchups too. He's not like the most technical striker. And striking is where Barnett's going to have a good advantage here. But I, Martin Budai is going to be the bigger man. He's going to be heavier. He should be able to hold him up against the fence, worst case. If not, he should be able to get takedowns and do some work from there. As much as Chris Barnett can very well win this by knockout or, or mm-hmm. what have you, I think Barton Budai has the makings of like a like a fringe top fifteen ish level heavyweight potentially. So I, I'm intrigued by this matchup for that reason, if nothing else. Yeah, I'm kind of I kind of want Barnett to win because <laughs> he's fun. Yeah, um, I hear that. I don't blame you. I'm looking at the odds here. I what well, what was I, your what was your unofficial pick for that one? Uh, my unofficial pick is Barnett. Cool. Um. I don't understand why Jordan Levitt is an underdog to Trey Ogden, who I think is a late replacement. Um, I like what we've seen from Levitt. I think he's 
crafty. I think he's got confidence. Um, he's not going to get me. Uh, he's not going to get me multiple points. Um, I don't think is he plus one fifty. Hang on. He is no. He's no. Plus, he's plus one thirty. I just. Uh, I think Jordan Levitt does what Jordan Levitt does in this fight. I think he grabs. I think he grabs a submission. So Ogden's actually a really good grappler himself, and he's got the better wrestling by a good margin in this matchup. He's training at Glory MMA and Fitness under James Krause, which means probably some good game planning is going to go into this. And I realize that it's not that simple, but um, you know I can see why Ogden might be the favorite, especially with Jordan Levitt getting really tired in his UFC loss uh, uh, a little while ago to the name of this gentleman's escape. Claudio Puelas. That's right. Um, where, you know, he looked good in the first round, and then everything went downhill from there. And outside of that, he beat Matt Sales, who apparently cut down from, like, 190 pounds to make that 155-pound limit for their matchup, right? So so I could see Trey Ogden winning this fight. I think I'm going to pick Levitt because Trey Ogden's couple of losses have been by submission, right? Like, even if you're a good grappler, if you keep getting finished by submission, Jordan Levitt is the kind of guy that could potentially take advantage of that. So I don't blame you for the pick. So I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that one. Um my next pick, and I believe this is... Oh, no, we, we each have one more pick remaining. Mm. I'm going to go ahead and take, in the matchup between Hafa Garcia and Jesse Ronson, this is going to be probably going to be exciting unless uh, unless Rafa Garcia is able to get consistent takedowns and not much happens from there. Jesse Ronson is like a good, rugged fighter. Won his UFC debut by fucking really impressive knockout in a matchup where he was a decent-sized underdog. And if I remember correctly came in uh, on short notice and, and, and got that big win, right? So really impressive performance. The problem is that he then got popped for some kind of steroids and served the two-year suspension, right? Like not the best way to make your UFC debut, your win getting taken away from you. That's got to suck for that guy. Um, I am I am going to pick him to win the matchup, though. This is pick him on the odds. Huffa Garcia is pretty solid. Defensively, he's not great. He's not very big for the division. Jesse Runson's got a pretty fucking solid southpaw game. Makes good decisions. Stays calm. Um, he he can he can he's got legitimate pop in his hands. He's got good defense. Moves his head really well. I think he's going to be able to avoid enough takedowns and score enough damage on the feet. Garcia is durable, but I like Jesse Ronson to pick up the win in this one. Unless steroids were a big reason for his success prior to the suspension. Yeah, I had Ronson. Uh, I had Ronson also. Oh boy, this last the co-main one. event is neck left neck, and to be honest with you, even though it has no business being the co-main event, I'm very intrigued by this matchup. I think both are like pretty pretty impressive prospects, and I'm looking forward to seeing this one. Yeah, I just. I'm having a really hard time, um, you know, picking a winner. And for a lot of reasons. I mean, you got a Russian fighter. Like, who knows where his head's at right now? Um, you know, he fights out of Russia. I don't know where he's been training for this. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of interesting against uh, interesting Berta. Gadzi or Magadziev, in case yeah. anyone was wondering who Nick against was referring Ka- to. Against Kyle Baralo. Um, who has has a couple of wins on like one of those guys that had to win twice on the contender series, um, and hasn't you know I guess he he lost one decision like years ago, but he so he more or less hasn't really lost um, in his professional career. I mean one decision in like a second pro fight seven years ago or something. Um, I'm. Yeah, and then frankly, I don't know that much about either of these guys. <laughs> I'm speaking honestly. I know well that Kyle, done, I know that Kyle Bralo looks like Paulo Costo. Um, 
Yeah, he looks like a million bucks. So I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go with the Russian guy because you know Russians. Yeah, I, I hear that. Um, basically, Kyo Borao, and I and I know I'm totally mispronouncing that. He is his nickname the Natural, which I fucking love. Randy Couture type shit, right? By the way, Randy Couture probably was not a natural man at 45 years old, super fucking chiseled, um, back when, you know, the USADA wasn't in the picture. Nick, Chow is like a Lyoto Machida-style fighter, really calm in the pocket when his opponent is coming in. He will just barely slip his head off the center line, whereas a lot of people might even think he took the punches where he doesn't. He, he makes a miss, and he clocks him hard on the counter really nice uh, check right hook and you know how Leonardo Machido usually skirts the octagon and he's he's got the fences back a lot of the time so he uses that check right hook to reposition himself and turn his opponent to, uh, with his back to the octagon with him being on the outside so really crafty kind of footwork game uh like his counter game a lot his left kicks are solid his left head kick in particular his left cross as you would expect from a southpaw um we'll go for takedowns once he establishes the fear of striking into his opponent relatively short for middleweight he's only 510 right um pretty active with rabbit shots in the clinch has two wins actually on the contender series over two tough guys first was an exciting decision which wasn't good enough for dana and the second was a first round finish which naturally will give him the the ufc buy and he's fighting um uh, let me let me try and pronounce let me try and pronounce this name here uh gazi umar gad umar you would think i would be better at this than umar Urmagajev. um so the thing is with gazi he's just a relentless grappler like, plenty of experience, right? He's got a bunch of amateur fights. He's got a pro- bunch of pro fights. If you look at his topology record, his last amateur fight was in 2015. His first pro fight was in 2013. I'm not sure how that works, but that's the way shit works, I guess, in the Caucasus or in Russia or wherever he's made the majority of his career. Uh, he's with a really good team that's, like, unheralded, but they've got a bunch of guys that are, like, 16-0, 15-0. This guy is 13-0 making his UFC debut here, right? He got a contender series win in the first round by a, a knee bar after making a bad decision. He got top position, was beating the guy up, and then he just, like, sits back for a heel hook with a minute left, turns that into a knee bar, which was impressive. Um, I uh, To make it interesting, I'm going to pick Chao Baralo, but this could easily go the way I'm super intrigued by it. I tend to think Godzi is going to be able to get takedowns and keep him there. He's just relentless, and he just stays attached to you once he gets a, a hold of you, much like uh, the Khabibs of the world do. But I really love what I saw with Chao Baralo, who's also a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. How easy will he be to be to control? Um, I can see his footwork playing a factor, although a smaller cage is probably going to favor the guy who's going to pressure forward and look for takedowns. Um... I'm, I guess I'll edge with you on, on Godzi, but I'm really intrigued with this matchup. It has no business being a co-main event on a UFC fight night, uh, except for this card being pretty shitty. Yeah. Uh, I would have put Miguel Baeza versus Andre Fialo or Beno Silva Wu over this. I would have put several fights over this. Um, it, it seems kind of silly, but uh, but these are legitimate prospects, and I'm and I'm pretty excited about seeing them make their debut against each other. This could be boring if Godzi just has his way, but uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that it's uh, it's more exciting than than it could be. Nikolai, that will do it. It mm-hmm. will. I mean, just like really quick, what's coming up? There's, I mean, there's some interesting fights outside of the UFC happening. UFC wise, we got Lemos and Andrade um, next weekend. That's the, a great fight, man. Yeah, I'm that intrigued. is interesting. I mean, I really do think Angela Hill got jobbed in that fight against Lemos, and it's Andrade's going back to 115. But the rest of that card is pretty whack. Um, if I'm being honest, I mean, Tanner Bozer against Alexander Romanov. I don't think that's a very favorable match for for Bozer. You know, Macy Barber coming back against Montana De La Rosa. Yeah, it's I mean, basically Charles- a bunch of a bunch of people that uh, mostly people that are either not UFC level or like 
or like like we got Mike Jackson fighting on this card. Owen motherfucking won. You tell me he's Owen yeah, one. How's that possible? There's some well because. Uh, Oh, he, he got popped yeah. for weed against CM Punk. Yeah. I mean, we got an 0 one one fighter this a, on this card. It's, it's not it's even a, the opener. It's, like a, it's a bit of a rehab card. You got Tyson Pedro coming back. Yes. A bunch like, of guys you know, that are people, in bad... People who's, yeah. Who's, who, yeah, who like need, you know, kind of career rehab. Charles Jordan, who had a, you know, trades wins and yeah. losses against Leno Venata. Marc-Andre Barriou, Jordan Wright, yeah, Martin Prochnia, Philip Linz. I mean, card is they're the, all losing fighters. It's the Island of Lost Toys here. Or the Island of Misfit Toys, rather. And then after that... You got, um, I mean, really. Intrigued. And Jessica Andrade, by the way, coming off of a loss. And, oh, is she coming? No, she no, she is coming off of, she's coming off of a win over Calvillo. Sorry, I forgot that matchup happened. Yeah, she crushed um, Then we've got a really interesting main event, like a fight I'm super interested in seeing. And Rob Font got pieced up a bit by, it's a weird thing, as in you've got Marlon Vera, who's coming off of stopping Frankie Edgar against Rob Font, who, who um, you know, spirited fight, but a loss to Aldo. And then after that, again, it's like Mearshart, Christophe Jacot, Gina Mazzani, Shanna Young, like, you know, Natan Levy's on the card. That's kind of interesting. Jessica Penny, again, a little bit. I of, guess he's only uh, one Tristan of the UFC. Connelly, Darren Elkins. Like, this is an island, again, an island of misfit toys card. Andre Feely really in, the pre, in the prelims, which he doesn't deserve to be in against Joe Anderson, Brito. You know, Arlovsky, Jay Collier. It's just like weird stuff. Yeah, then, yeah these then, are not great fights, man. But then those are two. We've got two more. You know, two kind of two weeks of kind of like iffy, and then we've got this mammoth, um, you know, mammoth pay per view card right after that. I'm just clicking through um, topology here to get to it because there's so much other stuff going on. Um, UFC oh, 274. Check condo. Yeah, 274. Uh, Olivier, uh, Char- I mean, uh, yeah, the Bronx. Charles Olivier against Gagey for the strap. Oliveira, Nick. Uh, Charles, what did I say? Oliveira. Oh, sorry. You said Olivia. It's late. I'm sorry. Charles the Bronx Oliveira against against Justin Gagey. That's going to be really interesting. Namajunas Esparza is a good challenge. That's interesting. Yeah. Then I'm you've intrigued. got two fights that I really don't want to watch with fan like old fan favorite guys. You got it's basically there's two old timer fights on the main card: Cerrone Lazan and OSP Shogun. And, OSP know, Shogun, the rematch that we have all been clamoring for for years next. Let's go further and say, I'll even say there's two and a half old-timer fights on this card. you got Cerrone Lazan, OSP uh, Shogun, and then Michael Chandler against Tony Ferguson. Um, and I'm just, ugh, you know, um, I don't think... Nick, this, Rose Namajunas is only... I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. Rose Namajunas is only a minus 170... Favorite over Carlos Parza. I'm going to go ahead and put some money on her tonight. Those odds are going to shift a big fucking time. Holy cool. shit, Nick. Um, I'll then make you great. 100 bucks. Just drop that on top. Is that okay? I'm, I'm down, dude. Are you kidding? Right. Crazy. Um, we've got um, Macy Chazan, Norma Dumont. I mean, there's some other inter- fairly interesting fights on this. I mean, Brandon Royval, Matt Schnell. I'm interested in that. Michael Johnson, Alan Patrick should be fun. Randy Brown, KS Williams should be a train wreck um so do you think we should spend like the next half hour of the podcast just listing upcoming ufc fights from every event in the next six or seven months no i think we would, <laughs> st- we would stop at this one 
Oh, fair enough. I no, it, like, it is. It, this is like the next good card to look forward to. You're right, because we were kind of spoiled for a little bit there over the new year and then going into this the point main, the main where some of those good. UFC fight nights were a lot better. Main well, events are Luke, good. but Luke Cape, the- Muhammad, Lemos, Jessica Andrade, <laughs> you know, Cheeto Vera against Rob Font. See, make all- that a main card of a pay-per-view and I'm down, Nick. How yeah, exactly. That? But everything else, I'm just like, yeah, you know, going to spend six hours watching watching Toyo tire commercials. Like, oh, this, this is why I always watch on like a 45-minute delay, Nick, is because I get to skip all the motherfucking commercials. It's a better life this way. Yeah. Yeah. I also like don't necessarily uh, watch the pay-per-views the same way that you do in the honest, responsible way that you do. So there's another way in which I am I am doing things differently, Nick. But listen, you, if you want to give Dana White your hard-earned money, you do that. I respect it. No, I'm kind of over that. Um, all right, my friend, we went we, went, right, we went we went long for a very not very exciting card we put together like a ninety minute <laughs> show. But no good joke. being here with you. And um, hey, listen, uh, fans. By next time we ha- we record, um, Stan's probably going to be a, a daddy times two. Um, so you know, keep uh, you know him and, him and his fam uh, in your thoughts and well wishes. Um, as they uh, prepare to drop a sib for Avery Quinn. Oh, that's going to be exciting. You know what Avery Quinn recently told me, Nick? I uh, picked her up from school, and I, we sat back in the car, and I started the car, and uh, like a, a podcast started playing, unrelated to MMA. And Avery goes, who is that? And I go, oh, there's, there's just a podcast Daddy's listening to. And Avery goes, I want to listen to Daddy's podcast with your friend Nick. <laughs> she kind of she kind of talks like that monotone, and she like specifically asked you by name, not for the first time, mind you. And then I had to sit there and listen to my own and your voice for like the the thirty minute drive. It was well, listen, I tried for- to turn it off, Nick. I tried to turn on some Encanto or something, some music, and and she was like, "Listen to Daddy's podcast until it's over." So we <laughs> well, have to go. You know back what? To that it. that warms my heart, and I will say for a limited time only. I will if you go to the you go to the the website cameo.com, you can order a cameo for your daughter. Well, I will send you know send a personalized message to her for the low cost of five. <laughs> you're gonna charge me for you're five charge five hundred dollars. Nick, Nick, you're gonna charge me more than like Chael Sonnen would charge me to just blatantly lie to me about any goddamn thing. By the way, just real quick, we have to cover this quickly, and I realize we're going way too long. Chael Sonnen with the story about him uh, attacking a couple, right? It's quickly turned into a story about him fighting off five men that were trying to uh, get at his wife. He's an incredible liar. I say this to you every fucking time he says anything ever. He's a liar. He just lies. Almost nothing that comes out of his mouth is real. And what did he do? He got renowned MMA journalist Brendan Schaub to tell some lies on his behalf because Brendan Schaub didn't know any better, presumably. He got other people in the MMA world to tell lies on his behalf because he's got a bunch of friends in that world. And we had the whole MMA world believing that he heroically defended his wife from five evil attackers. As it turns out, he fucking viciously, or at least allegedly, attacked a man, a woman, a wife and husband, presumably for no reason. And no, his wife was asleep, Nick. She took like a sleep medication hours ago and claims to have been asleep that entire time. I think I think it's possible, and I'm not trying to let Sonan off the hook here, but I wouldn't be surprised if what actually happened was he took the same medication and and like was out of it. Like I've seen people behave I'm really sure oddly that's their on, plan on, on Ambien. Maybe. No, yeah, but it might, like it might have been, to behave it, that way. It, 
it might have been what happened. Like I'm not this that's not to defend Chael Sonnen as a but person. But then what makes it what makes it okay to make up a completely fictitious story oh, nothing. about five attackers trying to get at your wife and you being a hero? Like I don't know. he's yeah, just a know. propagandist, Nick. He is such an insane level of propagandist. It's amazing. It goes back to when he declared that Patty Pimblett is fighting Donald Cerrone next, and Patty Pimblett was like, "No, I'm not. What the fuck are you talking about, dude? Like you're making shit up." It goes back to um, he declared a, a different matchup where like one of the fighters he was talking about in the matchup was like, "That's not true. I never said that to him. He said I said that to him. That was a lie. I think it was. I think it was um, uh, something having to do with Dominic Cruz. He's just a fucking liar. Almost. I think nothing there he are people true. who have got, and I don't agree with this at all, but who have the perspective that it's up to the rest of the world to keep them in line and like they just push against the rules and they push against logic and they push against good behavior and he may just be one of those people you're saying it's up to the rest of the world to keep no no i'm not saying it line? is i'm no no i'm saying there are people who have that perspective who think that and i you know i heard i heard someone try well, to well there's it, people was, who like well let me finish real quick who, who i thought was mm-hmm. disgusting on the show on the show like uh, what's it called uh, dirty money the people who you know there's a guy who ran, ran a really sleazy payday loan business who would always shirk the regulations and thought of him as a race car driver who's always pushing at the edge and it's the responsibility of everyone else to catch, you know, to, it's like his responsibility to push it and it's the law's responsibility.